All right, so Philippians chapter 4, if you guys want to go there, we're going we're gonna to be digging into this last chapter of the book of Philippians this morning. And last week, as we looked at the first half of this chapter, we saw that God calls us to rejoice in the Lord always, to be anxious for what? For nothing but in everything, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. That we are to be a people who are just constantly thankful, not annually, but every day, that we are to be a thankful people always. Because what happens when we're thinking of of the things that God has blessed us with is what happens as we're thinking of his many gifts that he has poured upon us. What happens is as that old hymn goes, the things of earth grow what? You know the hymn? Grow strangely dim as you're focusing on his glory and and his grace. And and I was in uh, Vermont with my family this past uh, half of the week into the weekend. And uh, Becky's uncle in Vermont is very into photography. He has all kinds of cameras and lenses. And he also has a dark room in his basement. And Becky's brother is starting to get into photography as well. So he has this new camera. And so what the theme of, of our, our little Thanksgiving uh, trip to Vermont really became was photography. And so there were all these moments where they were taking pictures of us and gathering us together and trying to experiment on the lighting and pictures of the children. And then they sneak away to the dark room and come back and say, check this out and show us all these, all these things. And as I'm just thinking through Thanksgiving as we talked about last week and as I'm thinking through photography, I just kind of had this image in my mind of, of the, 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 the photographs that really have one thing super crisp. And, and when you focus in on that one crisp, crisp thing, what happens? Everything else kind of blurs up. And as we talked last week, the beginning of Philippians chapter 4, that's really what this whole idea of thanksgiving is. That's why Scripture elsewhere, 1 Thessalonians says that it is the will of God. It is God's best for you that you be a thankful person because when you're thankful, you get God crisp. And everything else, all of our problems start to really blur up. They grow strangely dim. And so that was, that was last week. And then this week, what we're going to see, stemming from Paul's command to the Philippians out of his love for them to be thankful, this week we move into Paul displaying to the Philippians what thankfulness really looks like. And he's doing what he's called them to do. And he's, he's thanking them and God for, for their support of his ministry. And in doing this, what we're going to see this week is just really the perspective of a truly thankful Christian. And, and so that's where we're going this week, the perspective of a thankful Christian. And let me just tell you, it is super hard this time of year for me with my family, my, my, my sons, especially my four-year-old, just kind of moving into the, the Christmas season. It, it's super hard because we have grandparents calling us and saying, can you give us the, the Christmas list? Can you tell us what do your kids, what do your kids need? I, I need a list. What do they need? And I have to honestly just say to them, I'll be honest, they need Nothing. They, they need nothing. You can look in their toy room. They got everything that you could possibly think of, and they only use you know, uh, just a fraction of the toys in the room. They, they, they need nothing but what they want. That's, that's a whole other story. And this time of year, it, it's super hard just to keep them, and even for ourselves, it's super hard just to keep things in check. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's a difficult thing in, in the midst of such a consumeristic kind of kind of period of, of our year. In fact, I was thinking about it. You know, it seems like we're, we're getting earlier and earlier in the year where we're kicking off uh, the holiday season. In fact, don't you remember when you used to celebrate Christmas in December? We're not even there yet, but I, I remember the day after Halloween, 
Christmas music was playing at this one coffee shop that I go to. I'm just, what are you kidding? Are you kidding me? We, we went to Macy's downtown, and they were setting up the trees back in like September, you know, getting things ready to go for, for Christmas. And, and it's just crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, I love Christmas. I love going to Starbucks and getting my peppermint mocha latte, whatever it is. I love the, the Christmas blend at Starbucks. But, but starting in October, that's three months. Think about that. That's one quarter of our year. That's 25% of our year is consumed with just this consumerism and, and you got to buy this, you need this, and your family's going to be really happy if you, you get them this. And I love this time of year, but it is increasingly, increasingly difficult. And so when the par- grandparents call and say, what do the boys need? I say, they don't need anything. I'll tell you a few things they want, but, but please, I love you and I know this is your way of displaying their, your love for them, but Let's take it easy this year. Let's take it easy. So it, it got me thinking, what are our basic needs? What are, what are the, the things that are most basic to us and what we need? And, and you probably can name the, the big three we always talk about, right? Food, water, and, and, and shelter. And so I was just kind of thinking through these three over the course of this week. Let's think a little bit about food, especially coming off of Thanksgiving. Anybody have far more than you could possibly need? You had overabundance, right? And so... We, we obviously eat far more than we need. Moving into to water now, right? Fluid in our system, right? We go beyond just water in what we have, right? We have our, our $3 bottle of Fiji water, right? We have our $4 Starbucks mocha latte thing, right? We could just go tap water. So we go above and beyond just the, the basic need. And then I was thinking also about our, our shelter, Let's think a little bit about shelter. I, I, I took some notes from this article that I had been reading recently in, um, on- online. And, and this is just a really interesting article from, about U.S. housing from the 1950s into the new millennium. And let me just read some of the, the notes that I, I took. The average square footage of a home moving from the 1950s into the new millennium, a single-family home, 1950s, a new home averaged 983 square feet. So you drive down the road, and you can, you know how you can drive down the road, and you can see different decades as you drive through different developments. You know the 1950s are those tiny little capes that are side by side by side by side. You can move into the 70s, and you can see the Brady Bunch houses everywhere. You move into the 80s, and you see the houses with all the funky triangle roof lines, because that was real big in the 80s. You move into the 90s, and you have, you go back to all the classic colonials. You go now, and it's just super, you know, all the stonework and the different textures of the, the, the stone and the shingles and the siding, and they try to mix it up a bit. And so you can kind of drive around, and you can see the difference. And you also see that they just get bigger and bigger. 1950s, 983 square feet average. 1970s, a new home averaged 1,500 square feet. Move into the 1990s, a new home averaged 2,080 square feet. And now into the, the, the new millennium, 2004 is when this was done. The new home averaged 2,348 square feet. So just kind of think through that a little bit. So our need for space has increased by 66%. Another statistic it, it went on and, and gave us was that though our need for space increased 66%, the average household size has decreased 
by 27%. So we're having less babies, yet we need more space to, to live. And, and part of that is that everybody, you know, has their own bathroom, right? That's kind of the new thing. Everybody needs to have their own private bathroom. And you live in poverty if you have one bathroom in your house. You know what I'm talking about? And so we think food, water, and we think shelter. And we start to think a little bit about our, our needs. And, and we're starting to look that we're all set. Now, we could probably add to those understanding that there are some liberties that we are able to have in, 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 in our country, right? Compare them to other countries. But for us, they, maybe we would consider them in the U.S. a need. So I just tack a few more on there. I was thinking health care, right? A lot of us think you've got, you got to have health care, right? If you get sick, you go to the hospital, you're going to be major, 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 major trouble if you, if you don't have health care. Some of us, maybe a, a basic need, a must for you is, is a vehicle. If you want to earn a living, you, you have to have a vehicle, depending on which part of of Boston you live in. We're kind of right on the cuff here, right? So it really depends on where, where you live, if you're a little in or you're a little out, really dependent on that. And then another, another would be clothing, of course. I mean, if we're a little closer to the equator, we might be all right just running around in our, in our underwear. I don't know. But here, what we definitely need, we definitely need some clothing. So food, water, shelter, and then you could probably tack on a few more, health care, vehicle, thicker clothing, whatever it may be, you can probably think of a few more. But as we jump into this passage, Philippians chapter 4 this morning, let's be mindful that we have needs, necessary provisions, and then we have things, everything else, that should be considered a luxury, right? Everything else should be considered a luxury. And, and, and we need to realize that most of us are living in luxury. And, and, and here's the thing, it's not a sin in and of itself to have things and to have things that, that are nice, but the problem lies in when we don't realize that we're living in luxury. We need to at least slow down a bit starting out here and just realize that we're living lives of, of, of luxury because we, what happens is we look at our neighbor, we look at Thanksgiving, you start talking with your family members how their careers are going, their new things that they've uh, acquired over the years, you start, start to talk to coworkers and on and on and and what happens is we compare and we start to feel like, oh, man, I really am. I'm oppressed here in America. I mean, it is tough. It's, it's terrible. And, and, and we need to see that we, we're living lives of luxury. And so what I'd like for us just to maybe start to do, just in your mind, let your mind go here. Let your mind go to a place where you're identifying your luxuries. Just start to think through some of your luxuries. And, and I'll, I'll give you some, and I'm not trying to pinpoint anybody. I don't know what your luxuries are, but I'll just identify some. Many of these I, I actually have as well. And I want to identify some, not because they're wrong. Again, they're not wrong. Jesus is always pointing us to the heart. But it's important to differentiate between luxury and needs because some of us think we're needy when we're not. And because some of our luxuries could easily be kind of shaved off, right, so that we could give a little more to, to things that God's calling us to give to. So just let me identify a few luxuries. I already said one, the latte, right? So I already kind of incriminated myself, the, the latte at Starbucks or the, the trip to the movies, right? That's a luxury. And if you go to the movies, you've got to have your popcorn, you've got to have your soda. It ends up being like a $30, $40 deal if it's just a, a, a double date. The gym membership, right, that, that can be a luxury. Some of, some of us could go the old-fashioned route and, you know, do you know, push-ups and sit-ups, right? The gym membership is a luxury, especially for those of us, us who, who get your gym membership and you go after the holidays and you go a couple times before it's time to go to the beach, right? And that's it, but yet you pay monthly. So it's a, it's a luxury. How about the manicure, right? That's, that's definitely a luxury. The, the cable bill, 
luxury. I know we like our football and our Red Sox every game, but you might have to settle with just, you know, one game a week or something rather than every single game. The smartphone bill, right? I mean, right now we're, I can't live without my smartphone, but three years ago we did fine without it, right? But maybe, maybe that's a luxury we need to see. The, the meal out to eat, my family, for my family to go to Chipotle ends up being like 40 to $50 for my family to go to Chipotle. We could easily support a child in need for his education and his food just for my family to go to Chipotle rather than having mac and cheese and hot dogs back at the White House. And so that is clearly a luxury. Or, or how about that, that pair of brown boots that you have to have because you only have black boots and your brown shoes won't do. You have to have brown. Everybody's looking at their wives right now. Like, and, and so I'll stop there. But you get it, right? We're living lives of, of, of luxury, and it would be healthy for us to identify our, our luxury. My intention is not to guilt us. My intention is to simply show us that we have a little more wiggle room than we think, and that we're living lives of luxury. And so we have so many provisions to, to be thankful for. And I just want to kind of go into Philippians 4 with that. So Philippians 4, 10 through 23. We'll read the whole thing, and then we'll go through it kind of line by line. He says to the Philippians, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so we go into the perspectives of a thankful Christian. Last week, Paul says, be thankful. This week, he gives thanks. And I want to see the perspective of a thankful Christian. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory here as we see it in verses 14 through 18, if you want to get your eyes there, the backstory before we get into the perspectives that Paul displays. The original recipients of the letter, as we talked about last week, are the people of the church of Philippi, Paul's first European church plan, a church that has a very special place in his heart. Philippi is located in the European region of, of Macedonia. And in verse 15, he says that at the beginning of their church, or at the beginning of the gospel, when they first started to respond to the gospel, their, their church is formed. At the beginning there, when he's leaving Macedonia, says that their new little church was the only church supporting his ministry. We'll stop there. Let that be an example to us as a, as a new church also a brand new church much like them. We can't sit around and say, when we get bigger, 
when we get more financially stable, then we'll start giving. But what we need to do today is to set the generosity tone and standard for the future of, of this church. And so that's a big example from them to us. Then look down at, in verse 16. Paul says that, that they sent even more help when he was just a couple of cities away, whether it was then or whether it was another missionary trip. He's just a couple of cities away now in Thessalonica. They sent even more help to Thessalonica. And so now here's another really good example for us as a, as a new church from the, the church in Philippi is that we don't just give to help ourselves, but we give to help others as well and other churches as well. It's, it's easy for us to get excited. If I were to come up here this morning and say, good news, we found a really, really cheap building and I think if we really rally together, we can do it. It would be, it would be fairly easy for us to get excited and say, let's put our money in the pot and let's do that. That would be easy. It would be another thing for me to say, hey, there's another church two cities away, let's rally together and help them. So that, that's a really big example from the church of Philippi is that they rally to help a ministry to another city and not simply Paul so that he can come and minister to them. You catch that? That's a, that's a big example for, for, for us from them. And, and, and for us, here's what it looks like. As, as I've mentioned to you several times before, we're, we're currently giving 10% of our, of our giving, and it's going towards missions, 5% domestically, the other 5% internationally through what's called the cooperative program. We've talked about this before. It's a, it's a great effort, and that's where 10% of your money is going. Starting next month, we're adding an additional 2%, as I told you a few weeks ago. And what we're going to do is that 2% is going to people just like us who are in a place where they're broke as a joke, thinking, how can we possibly get by? And so what we're doing starting next month is 2% to help out little church plants like ourselves. And so we're focusing not simply on things that, that revolve around us and our ministry and our programs, but we're going to help those in other cities, much like the church at Philippi, who wasn't a very big church at that point in time. We go on, backstory, verse 18, we see that Paul has received even another round of giving from the church in Philippi, this time sent by way of one of their church members named Epaphroditus. As we saw last week, he was ill. And now Paul sends word through this letter back that Epaphroditus is no longer ill to the point of death, that by God's grace he spared him, and, and he's all set. So there's some of the background. And, and what happens is this text, this whole, this whole book of Philemon, this letter or Philippians to the Philippians has, has really many purposes. One of the major purposes is Paul uses it to say, thank you. Thank you for giving. And, and so that's, that's the background. Now what I want to move into for the bulk of our time is just the perspective that we capture from Paul his perspective, um, as the perspective of a thankful Christian. And so, God, open our eyes to this perspective. I pray that we would be people with this kind of perspective that Paul has here. So perspective number one is God is the hand behind your provisions. Gets that. Gets that. God is the hand behind your provisions. Look at verse 10. Let's read it. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So here's what we have. The, the Philippians uh, give gifts. They were the ones who, who gave the gifts. But who does Paul rejoice in? He rejoices in the Lord. He knows that, that God in his sovereignty is the one who moves people to give. And so Paul rejoices in in the Lord. He doesn't rejoice in the Philippians. He rejoices in, in the Lord. At the beginning of the letter, flip, flip left with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And I'll just read this. Philippians 1, 3 through 4, 5. Look at how Paul puts it here. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the first day, as he's leaving Macedonia, the beginning, they're giving. When he's in Thessalonica, they're giving. They're giving again here. And so he's thanking them from the first day until now. But notice, what does he say? I thank God for you. I thank God for you. So it's not I thank you for you. It's I thank God for you. And it's important for us to be a thankful people. And, and many people have given towards this new ministry so that we could get off the ground and get going. And it's important for us to let them know that we're thankful. But it's also helpful for them as we, as we give the credit, that we give proper credit. We say, I thank God for you. Or maybe you put it this way, God is really using you. Or you could say, uh, this has been a gift from God. Your gift has been a gift from God. And what it does is we respond properly. And, and being very careful with our words is it helps people have the, the proper perspective. James chapter 1, verse 17 puts it this way. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not from me or you. Every good and perfect gift ultimately comes from above. And, and maybe for some of us, this is just so obvious, right? It's so obvious, right? Every, every good gift is is from above but we need to hear this because it is so easy for us to really slip into worshiping the provision over the provider right it's so easy for us us to do that some of us can easily slip into worshiping the the gifts over over the giver worshiping the gifts in place of god and when that happens we we've really totally totally missed the point some of us can can easily worship our job and we live for our job as if that's why we're on this planet. It's often been said, do you work so that you can live or do you live so that you can work? And I think the biblical example is we work simply so that we can live. We don't live for our, our work. Some people easily worship their house. I mean, it's easy to, to worship your house. Our house has been given to us by God so that we can have shelter from the, the elements so that we can be hospitable people so that we can disciple our families in our house. But what happens so often is for many people, house becomes God. And so we, we consume ourselves with projects around the house. And we consume ourselves with our lawns, right? And we consume ourselves with our zip code and, and find status and identity and, and, and where we live. And so it's about our house when we worship house. Some people can worship their children. That might be a, a tough thing to hear. Because it's, it's, it's what happens a lot of times is things that seem noble and are noble can move easily into the category of something that we worship. And so parenting becomes a, a God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a blessing. They're a heritage. They're a gift from the Lord. But they're not to be worshipped. And we can slip into uh, worshipping the gift over, over the giver. For many parents, what happens is their children become the one in whom they find their identity. You've seen this, right? You see this in the dad at the baseball game who's freaking out at the umpire because he's living vicariously through his child. And what he's really doing at the core is worshiping the idea of being a parent, worshiping his, his child. Many people, again, stemming off of Thanksgiving, can worship food. And so food has been given to us by the Lord to keep us alive, to give us health. Food biblically is also used for enjoyment and for feasting, the celebration of the good things that God has done. But for many people, it becomes a God and something they live for. And that's their drive is the next meal and the next dessert. And and, and all of these things can, can easily become a God for us, a gift can become a God, and on and on and on and on. But when we worship the, 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 the gift 
over the giver. We worship the provision over the provider. Things are just all out of sorts. And, and to the skeptic, I would say, really, has that stuff fulfilled you? I mean, really, has that stuff been the thing that has constantly brought you joy? I'm, I'm going to think no. I'm, I'm going to guess no. So God is the hand behind our provisions. He gives us our provisions often through other people, but it's for his glory. He's given it. Perspective number two here is God is present and trustworthy in all circumstances. Look at verses 11 through 13 now of Philippians chapter 4. 11 through 13. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God is present and trustworthy in in all circumstances. Verse 10 Paul says, thanks for giving. Thanks for your concern for me. I thank God for you. Now here in verse 11, he says, but don't get me wrong. He says, but don't get me wrong. I I, I don't want to talk as if I'm needy. He says, I don't want to talk as if I'm needy. I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to, to be content. And I love how Paul is just so super cautious to talk about his needs as if he's He's needy. Likewise for us who we have established that we're living lives of luxury. We need to be very cautious to talk as if, as if we're needy. Understanding our wealth when compared to the rest of the world. There's this website that I, uh, I found and, and I love and it would just maybe be fun for you to check out. It's called globalrichlist.com. www.globalrichlist.com. And what you can do on this website is you go in and you check your currency. So we would go US dollar and you would plug in your household income into the globalrichlist.com. And what it will do is it will show you your ranking among the rich of the world. You will, it will say you are this blank richest person in the world. It will also say that you are richer than this percentage of, of the rest of the world. And so for, for our sake, I plugged in a salary that I figured would be pretty modest for, for our area. And I know some of you are students, right? And so you're, you're broke. I mean, I think college students are probably the poor among us today. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. I know some of you are just fresh out of college. And, and so in today's economy, it doesn't mean that you have a job and you're off your feet and doing well. So I understand some are, are broke as a joke right now. But I think for this area, this is a conservative number that I plugged in. So I plugged in for Boston. I, I put a household income of $50,000. Nice, even, round modest number for our area. The result, at $50,000, it says that we would be richer than 99.02% of the rest of the world. At $50,000, we're richer than 99% of the rest of the world. So let that just put things into perspective. We are rich. And when we start to kind of zoom out of our corner of the world, we start to see we're loaded. We are absolutely loaded. And so Paul says, I'm hesitant to talk about my needs. But he says, I'll say this. I'll say this. I've learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied. Because my satisfaction, as we said last week, is not on the waves of life's circumstances. My satisfaction is on the anchor. And that is the Lord. David puts it this way. Psalm 37, 4, my favorite verse in all the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, when you are delighting in the Lord, and God is your joy, he is your everything, all those things that that you desire, they're fulfilled because they're not in those things, they're 
fulfilled in the Lord. Also, David says, I love this one, Psalm 63. He says, God, as he's singing the song to him, he says, my soul is satisfied with you as with the richest of foods. And so Paul says, listen, I've learned how to be content. He goes on, verse 12, he says, I've been brought low. He says, on the, on the flip side, I have abounded. He goes on, I have gone hungry. And on the contrary, I've had plenty. He says, I've been needy. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I've been in abundance. And maybe many of you can relate. You can think back to a point in your life when you were really, you feel like you were on the low end of things. Maybe it was right out of college. I mean, for me, college was like the all-time financial low, right? It was, it was brutal. I remember I, I was paying for college myself. I, I wasn't getting any student loans, and so I was paying for it as I was going, and it was brutal. I remember I got a job as a pizza boy simply so that I could feed myself, right? And so I was a pizza boy, and what would happen, and question my integrity. I know it's bad. It's terrible, so this is my moment of confession. But as a pizza boy, somebody would call in and say, I want a pepperoni and sausage pizza and so you do your pepperoni and sausage pizza and oops you'd accidentally drop a few peppers on it and run it through the 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 machine so it would come out and would be a mistake pizza and so there was dinner for the entire there was dinner for the entire shop because you couldn't deliver them a bad pizza my moment of confession I'm sorry Uh, it's it's bad I know but that's how we got by right pizza for every dinner and then for breakfast I had frosted mini spooners from Walmart I couldn't afford frosted mini wheat so I had frosted mini spooners from Walmart, and the secret is they actually have more frosting on them than the, than the name brand Frosted Many Wheats. And so go with Frosted Many Spooners if you ever go to Walmart and, and stock up, head out to Brockton and get you some, some mini spooners. And so I was broke as a joke, and maybe you can relate. You've been there. You've been in abundance. You've been in, in, in a bit of need. And maybe some of you, when the recession hit, things just went nuts. Maybe for other, others of us, we've never been on the opposite end of the spectrum. We've always done very well or we've, we've maybe didn't, you know, been in a, in a rough spot um, in, in life. And Paul says, here's the deal. Whatever it is, wherever I've been, I've learned to be content. I don't know how you've responded. I, I can only know how I've responded. But Paul says, here's how I've responded. I was able to be content. He goes on. He says, the secret to my contentment is this. It's that famous, often memorized Christian bumper sticker verse, right? Philippians 4.13. He says, the secret is this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength or who strengthens me. And this is not a verse that is meant to say that God will prosper everything that you do, as many Christians like to use it. It is not a verse that is meant to say Jesus will, will, will breathe on whatever it is that I want to do. He'll, 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 he'll breathe on it. It's not what it's saying. Paul is saying in the proper context of this entire letter, he's saying I find strength in Jesus when I'm going through the difficult. See, Christians like to use this, this verse to say that Jesus will help me do whatever I want to do when it's really saying Jesus will strengthen me through whatever he brings me through. Does that make sense? Very important for us to see the verse that way. And so the secret is reliance in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. Notice in verse 12, he kind of puts it into action. When Paul's talking about his, his tough times, he says, I know how to be brought low. And I think this is really the best translation of the Greek here. Other translations say, I know how to be in need. But I think this is the best translation. It says, I know how to be brought 
low. It really reflects the original language because it's important for, for, for Paul to, to, to show to us that his state of lowliness was not because of some kind of financial misstep on his part. His, his state of lowliness was not because of some bad business move. His state of lowliness was outside of himself. It was someone else doing it. He says, I was brought low. Somebody brought me low. It was done by someone other than me. And who was it? It was the Lord, completely in control. God brought him low. And what's cool for us to see and to latch on to is that he's right there. He's, he's present, and he allows people to go low for a reason. And maybe you're there right now, and you're, you feel like you're in the low, and, and things are tough. And I don't want um, to diminish where you're at, your, your difficulty, as I was talking earlier about our, our luxuries. I don't want to diminish the pain that you're going through. I don't want to diminish the, the financial difficulty that you're going through. But it's important to see that God has allowed us to, to go low and that we can, as we go low, trust in him and be strengthened by him, that he is with you in the middle of all of this. And so Paul says, I trust in him in plenty and I trust in him and am strengthened by him when I am brought low. And so it's important for you in that moment to quiet your heart and to regularly quiet your heart and say, God, I trust in you. I trust in you. I will be anxious for nothing. As Cyril read Matthew chapter 6 earlier, I will trust in you, Lord, and I know that you provide for me. I know you provide for me, and I, I, will, I will lean on you and, and know that God is doing something in you, and so you might trust in him as he stretches your faith. So he is present and trustworthy in every circumstance, yet you can be content. Perspective number three, God's provisions are a means to an end. Catch that. God's provisions are a means to to an end. Look at verses 14 through 18. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. God's provisions are a means to an end. So once again, we've heard the backstory yet again. Now notice verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the what? I seek the, I seek the fruit. I seek the fruit. See, see, Paul needs the financial support. Why? He needs the financial support not because he, he, he wants the money. He needs it for the fruit. And, and the support really enables him to do what he's, he's called to do, and that is to preach the, the gospel. That's what it's there for. And, and, and he had real expenses. It cost him money, I'm sure, to get on a boat, to go from Troas to, 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 to Philippi. It costs money to, to eat. Maybe Luke, who was with Paul often, helping him in the medical department for him and his his fellow missionaries. Maybe Luke needed money for, uh, for, for supplies for the medical needs of these guys. But there were, there were real needs, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted the fruit. He wanted the results. He wanted people re- receiving Jesus. And, and for us as a, as a new church here, it costs money to turn the lights on. And, and we can't fit in a house anymore. There, there are real expenses, but the finances are only, only a means to the end, and the end for us, as we said often, is connecting Boston to Christ. That's what we're all about, is connecting Boston to Christ. And likewise, for you, on a, on a personal level, God doesn't want you to seek money. He doesn't want you to, 
seek stuff, but he wants you to use that stuff for his purposes. And so start to think, what is the point of the provisions that, that God has given me? The point of the provisions he's given you so that you can play your role in his kingdom. And so what is your role? Think through those lists of spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. What is my role in the kingdom? And, and yet so often we focus on the, the, the gifts. We focus on the, the provision. And we stare at those things rather than the end that they're to be used for. I kind of think of like Big Poppy. You know Big Poppy, David Ortiz? This guy has huge guns. His legs are the size of my waist, right? But just imagine if, if Big Poppy didn't go on the field one day because he was too busy in the locker room, in the mirror, flexing and staring at his guns and, and staring at how thick his thighs are, right? He, he was given those things so that he could swing the Louisville slugger and, and knock it over the monster for us, right? But yet he's staring at his muscles, his, 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 his goods in, in the mirror. And, and for us, that's, I think that's what we tend to do a lot of times is we get so consumed, so consumed with our stuff and the things that have been given to us and we just stare at those, yet rather than, than thinking those are for a reason, those are to be used for specific purposes. And then Paul goes on. Paul goes on. He was thankful for the gift because it led to the fruit. He goes on. He says, the Philippian gift was this. It was a fragrant offering. He says it was a sacrifice acceptable and, and pleasing to God. So he uses this really beautiful Old Testament imagery. And though the literal Old Testament sacrificial system, as we talked about a few weeks ago through communion, is, is, is fulfilled in Christ, also the literal offering system fulfilled in Christ, the principle is still really there for us that the Philippians' gift was costly and it was sacrificial and it was pleasing to God. And so the gifts, they're not the, the end. The end is the glory of God and the worship of God so that he can have this pleasing offering sacrifice given to him it's for the glory of God and for the good of people and so a thankful Christian realizes that God blesses me so that I can bless others and God blesses us as a church so that we can bless others our, our blessings our gifts are only 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 the means to the ultimate end and that is the glory of God and the good of his people last perspective perspective number four perspective number four God's source is always replenished and then some. God's source is always replenished, and then some. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You ever notice how in high school, high school boys often have sideburns? You ever notice that? I mean, it doesn't matter. Hang with me. You're thinking, where in the world is he going with this? It doesn't matter how out of style sideburns become. High school boys, there will always be high school boys with sideburns, right? And, and it doesn't matter how goofy they look. Sometimes they can't grow it all the way down, so they just have a patch right here and here under the ear because they can't connect it. But high school boys will always have sideburns because they think they look so great, right? And so they're, they're finally able to grow a little bit of hair on their face, and so they'll always have sideburns. And I just want to grab them and say, listen, buddy. If you shave it, it'll grow in thicker. But they can't shave it because they, they need it, and it's there, and I have it, and it looks so great. And, and, and a lot of times I feel like that's us, right? God says, listen, if you, if you give, I'll replenish, and then some. And we need to see that, that Paul says to the Philippians, your gift has been given, 
and, and God's going to provide for your needs, and historically speaking, and, and, and then some, according to his, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And, and when you give, he says, I will replenish. You will not go with need. You will not go without as a result. And so for us, here's what it looks like. For us, when we start to shave off some of those luxuries that we identified earlier so that we can give to the kingdom, he says, I'll replenish. I, I will replenish. You will not go without. And, and oftentimes, I will replenish and, and then some. And I've said it numerous, numerous times. I'll say it again. We have the privilege. We have the responsibility as the first generation, just a few months in to this new church to really set the tone that we're going to be a generous church. Remember back in verse 15, Paul says, no other church gave but the Philippian church. But this tiny little startup of a church, no one gave except for them. And so it's easy for us to say, somebody else will give. I mean, right now, look, I mean, look around the room, it's, it's tough. Right now, maybe, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should cut back that 12, that 10%. Let's make it like one or two and be a little more comfortable. It's easy for us, us to save that. When we have a little more money, personally, right? Or when I have a little more time or when my kids are a little more, you know, a little older and, and, and I have a little more freedom, then, 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 then I'll do that. Historically, ha- what happens is we say that and then we never do because we've built a habit. We've built a lifestyle of not giving and so God says you step up and you give and I'll prove faithful and I will I will provide and so for us as a church for us again individually let's step up and say I'll be faithful and I will give to the Lord I will be the the source that God uses so often we we hear of a need and we say I'll pray for that (laughs) when God says I want you to be the answer to the prayer so so pray for it but then also also give, let's step up and say, God, I'll be the source that you're moving forward. And, and as we give, he will say, as he said in Luke 19, through Christ, he says, because you have been faithful in very little, I shall entrust you authority over, over 10 cities. I will entrust you more as you're faithful with little. You shave off some, I'll grow it in thicker. God's good like that. And so here's the deal. As we close out this, this Thanksgiving season and as we move into this brutally consumeristic season i pray that we will be a people of thankfulness as paul has called us to and as paul has displayed and i pray that maybe as we move into this time of 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 singing and worship to the lord i pray that maybe we'll just take some time to repent and some of us maybe just need to repent of our sinful perspectives and adopt paul's godly perspective and so perspective number one as we just kind of review God is the hand behind your provisions. He's moving people to give, and oftentimes he's moving you to give. Perspective number two, God is present, and he's trustworthy in all circumstances. He's there with you. He's brought you low, but yet he's there with you in the low moments, and so you can be content. Perspective number three, God's provisions are a means to an end. Let's not get our eyes on the gift. Let's get our eyes on the giver. And then perspective number four, God's source is always replenished and then some. And so I'll close with this. Notice verse 19. Verse 19. I love what Paul says. He says, my God will supply every need. Every need. I love how he, he, he says my. I mean, it moves into very personal now. He's, he's very personal. He says, he's done it for me. He's done it for me. As if to say, he's proven faithful to me. He's proven trustworthy to me. And I've been in low and I've been in, in, in abundance. And no matter where you're at, he says, my God, 
my God will and has always will supply every need and he will provide for you and he will grow you. And I just want to say to all of you, like Paul, in my life, my God has supplied every need, every need. And, and I've had the privilege, I'd say privilege, it was scary in the moment, but I've had the privilege of taking, I can count, three major, major life-altering steps of faith in my lifetime. And God has supplied every need. And he's proven trustworthy and, and faithful. And, and, and some of us in this moment, we just need to say, thank you, God, I worship you. You have supplied every need. Some of us maybe just need to say, God, I, I repent of, of where I've been in my mindset of, of just being focused on the peripherals and not focused on you. Maybe others, others of us in here just need to say, God, I recognize that the greatest provision that you have ever given on this planet is the gift of Jesus. And you just say, I, I, I need that. I receive that gift. I just say yes to the fact that Jesus died on the cross in my place as this wonderful exchange for me, and I trust in that. I trust in Jesus. I trust in that gift for my salvation. And let me pray.